10 years ago, while I was serving the Unitarian Universalist congregation in Littleton, Massachusetts, I was arrested by federal officers in Washington, D.C. Organized by Religious Witness for the Earth, a hundred interfaith activists had gathered there in defense of creation and to protest the energy policies of the new presidency of George W. Bush, specifically its determination to open the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil drilling, and more generally, its refusal to face or even acknowledge the accelerating climate crisis which threatens all of us. After a public worship service outside the Department of Energy, 22 of us knelt in front of the entrance, praying and singing until we were arrested. We were held in jail until around midnight, then released upon payment of a $50 fine. Returning to Littleton, I found my picture on the front page of the local paper, accompanied by the text of the homily I delivered at the Department of Energy. The next Sunday, I was approached by two church elders, one of whom had served on the search committee that had chosen me to candidate for that congregation. They'd read my homily, they said, and they were very concerned. One was disturbed by my saying, the earth is the Lord's. The other by my calling global climate change, God's warning. Did I really believe what I said, they asked. This innocent and appropriate question, I realized, concealed a trap. <laughs> if the answer was no, I was a hypocrite. If yes, I was something maybe even more unnerving, a theist. <laughs> so I explained that any language we ever use to talk about God is metaphorical. By definition, God defies all human effort to reduce God to terms we can understand. So all theology is a kind of poetry in which an image is substituted for reality in hopes of shedding upon it some partial and refracted light. As Sally McFaig has pointed out, metaphor says something is and is not the image borrowed to describe it. All theological language must be heard with skepticism and a sense of paradox. While we're on the subject, I'd like to clarify something. I'm not saying, and I would never say, that God is a metaphor. I am saying the language we use about God is necessarily metaphor. Getting back to my homily at the Department of Energy, I, I use different language in different settings because I want to be understood and effective. The first rule of good preaching, as any good communication, is to know one's audience. Speaking to a Unitarian Universalist congregation, I try, not always successfully, to use language appropriate to the broad theological and philosophical diversity we celebrate. Speaking in an interfaith religious setting, I begin with the premise that the existence of God is less a point of disputation there than it is among Unitarian Universalists. And so in that context, I use God language more liberally. It's still metaphor. I explained to my church elders that I used the phrase, the earth is the Lord's from Psalm 24, familiar and resonant to millions of Christians and Jews. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
my church elders were unfamiliar with this text. <laughs> I was invoking the authority of Scripture in the cause of environmental protection. I don't think of the Lord as male any more than I think of God or spirit as male. I called global ch climate change God's warning, as I might, before a Buddhist or Hindu audience, call it the operation of the law of karma, the inescapable consequence of cause and effect. My explanation seemed to mollify the two anxious elders. Well, I went back and checked the paper, said one with relief, and you only said God twice. Only in Unitarian Universalism are elders of the church delighted when the minister is arrested and scandalized when he talks about God. <coughs> so let's talk some more about God. When people tell the Reverend John Burens, the former president of the Unitarian Universalist Association, that they don't believe in God, he replies disarmingly, tell me about the God you don't believe in. <laughs> Chances are that I don't believe in him either. Theology is the province not only of believers, but also of non-believers. We have to ask ourselves, what is it precisely in which we don't believe? The God most of us emphatically reject was the one we learned about at approximately eight years of age. Now, we could be 40 years old or 60 or 80. Some of us may have raised families, earned distinguished academic degrees, or run large organizations, but for many of us, our theology is stuck back in second grade. So we say, we don't believe in God, meaning a bearded old man in the sky who created the earth in seven days, condemns sinners to eternal torture, and demanded that his son die in agony to pay for our shortcomings. To assert disbelief in that God is not a challenging intellectual or spiritual exercise. Isn't it time to grow up and contemplate a different God worthy of our belief? or our disbelief. Discovering a different God, a God within as well as without, a God of love unfolding, in which I participate as an instrument of peace, and the, and the divine essence of which is my essence also, has radically altered the quality of my spiritual life. While I can't claim absolute belief in such a God, I choose to embrace faith in such a God, to live my life held and cherished by such a God. I have been led to this faith by my daily meditation practice, by my reading of religious and mystical texts, by my life experiences, and ultimately, by the kind of life I want to lead. The more I've been able to let go of compulsion, distraction, and the attachments of ego, the more I perceive a world that shines with a light that might be called divine. 
And the more I see the world in and through this light, the more sensible and persuasive I find teachings I would have spurned 10 or 20 years ago. Listen, for instance, to the Reverend Michael Beckwith, writing in an anthology titled, For the Love of God. God is spirit, he writes, an ineffable, all-knowing presence that is everywhere in its fullness. What we call our life is actually the presence of God personified as us. Our spiritual work is to break down the illusion that we have a life here and that a life of God is somewhere else. All of our prayer work, our meditation work, our affirmation work, the path individuals take to grow spiritually is primarily to break down that sense of separation from God. God is expressed through us, as us. I first read those words a decade ago when Julie and I took a few days after Christmas at a New Hampshire bed and breakfast. The next morning I woke up much too early. The sky was still black, so I used an imaging exercise that sometimes helps me sleep. I I think of myself as a small child crawling into the lap of God and finding rest there. I admit that this image of God is indeed an old man with a beard. Huge and strong and infinitely tender. It helps me sleep sometimes. But this particular morning at the bed and breakfast, as I crawled into God's lap in my imagination, I saw myself not as a child, but as a little black cat, scrawny and vulnerable. I was puzzled by this image because I'm not really a cat person. I mean, cats are fine, but they and I have never had a a special affinity. Maybe that's why I never got back to sleep that morning. (laughs) Julie was still sleeping, so I, I dressed and went downstairs to the living room to meditate. And as I sat on the couch meditating, a small black cat I hadn't seen before crawled into my lap. It gave me chills because it it made me see myself in the position of God, not as a helpless toddler dependent upon the benevolence of a divine adult, but me, the adult, huge and strong and infinitely tender, not a victim of some vast impenetrable reality, but its co-creator, equally responsible for the well-being of all. They don't teach this stuff at Harvard. (laughs) But there is a wonderful academic word for it, panentheism. Literally, it means everything is in God. Not pantheism, which means that everything is God and vice versa. Panentheism means that God is everything, but also more than everything. It conceives a God both transcendent, going beyond the human and material, and imminent, dwelling within all things, including me and you and even the person sitting next to you, even the person who really irritates you. 
Here's how Marcus Borg describes the panentheist God in his book, The God We Never Knew. God is the encompassing spirit. We and everything that is are in God. God is not a supernatural being apart from the universe. Rather, God, the sacred spirit, is a non-material layer or level or dimension of reality all around us. God is more than the universe, yet the universe is in God. Thus, in a spatial sense, God is not somewhere else, but right here. Panentheism is a very subversive theology. A panentheist God, by its nature, cannot be the wrathful, judging God that frightened us as children. If God dwells within us, if God is expressed as us, then how can, judge, how can God judge us any more than I might judge my own hand? I love my hand, and if my hand is injured or weak or, or clumsy, I might feel sorrow or disappointment or even amusement, but, but not blame. And if we are all a part of God, then you and I, by the choices we make in every moment, are continuously defining and fulfilling the divine impulse, not pawns or victims of God, but God's agents entrusted with God's work. That's a lot of freedom and a lot of responsibility. Panentheism is not something dreamed up last summer at Omega Institute. It's a recurring theme in every religion. The Hebrew scriptures tell of God's effulgence permeating the whole earth, speaking in whirlwind and in storm, but also in a still, small voice. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is within you and among you. The God of the Quran is infinite, imminent, everywhere, not somewhere else. Buddhism affirms the interpretation, pardon me, affirms the interpenetration, the dependent co-arising of all things. If there is a God, Buddhists would say that God cannot be separate and other from us. The Hindu tradition perhaps explores panentheism most deeply and articulates it most powerfully. The Bhagavad Gita teaches that God dwells in all, in every hand and foot and head, in every mouth and eye and ear in the universe. It is both near and far, both within and without every creature. It moves and is unmoving. In its subtlety, it is beyond comprehension. It is indivisible, yet appears divided in separate creatures. Dwelling in every heart, it is beyond darkness. It is called the light of lights, the object and goal of knowledge, and knowledge itself. And what can surpass the poetry of the Upanishads? 
Hindu texts over 3,000 years old describing the infinite variety and familiarity of God. He is fire and sun and the moon and the stars. He is the air and the sea and the creator, Prajapati. He is this boy, he is that girl, he is this man, he is that woman, and he is this old man too, tottering on his staff. His face is everywhere. She is the blue bird, she is the green bird with red eyes, she is the thundercloud, and she is the seasons and the seas. She has no beginning, she has no end. She is the source from which the worlds evolve. From her divine powers comes forth all this magical show of name and form of you and me, which casts the spell of pain and pleasure. Only when we pierce through this magic veil do we see the one who appears as many. Is it true? Don't know. Do I want you to believe it? Absolutely not. I offer it for your consideration as one more metaphor, one more way to image and engage the world in this postmodern scrap heap of truth commingled with illusion, trash, and toxin through which we seekers must pick our way seeking bread for the journey. So hungry are we, and so often disappointed. I cannot decide for you what nourishment will feed your soul or save your life. I know that my soul is fed and my life goes better when I contemplate an incomprehensible spirit infusing and sustaining all things, loving all, condemning none, visible in the sunlight, glinting on the morning dew, audible in every breath I take, alive in the heart of every creature, including me, including you. For now, that's what I mean by God. Amen and blessed be.